WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. Hi, this is Elmore Leonard. I'm, I'm listening to Film Sociology, and, and uh, it's, it's a real program. It's great. It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplex and the art house. What's new on video and streaming, and you might also hear about some dead people we like. We don't have time for dead people we don't like. <laughs> anyway, this is Film Sociology, where you'll find out what's the next cinematic marvel. It was unbelievable! And what's just a movie. Shut up! My God! You have no freaking life! Okay. Here's your host and my dad, Matthew Sosi. Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. This show is available on iTunes, and like all of the podcasts here at WFYI, available on Spotify. Well, friends, uh, we're going to talk about a, a new documentary that just opened. There is a box set I want to discuss with you, and it's also an excuse to dip into the archives. And then we will find out what's going on around town, and then we'll grab a pencil, all right? Um, there's, there's Timing is everything, I think, when it comes to uh, comedy and pop culture. And that is the case with the IFC Films documentary, The Torch which is the story of uh, blues guitar legend Buddy Guy, and uh, which covers not only his career, but also him passing the torch on to a young guitarist by the name of Quinn Sullivan, who uh, he had on the stage, I believe, uh, the first time at the age of eight. Sullivan was eight. He's now 22. He's recorded a few, few albums. And it talks about Guy's career, as well as his way of keeping the blues alive by passing the torch to younger players. And we hear from younger, from past Torch receivers like Johnny Lang, uh, Joe Bonamassa, Susan Tedeschi, Derek Trucks, um, and, and of course with Quinn Sullivan. We follow uh, him on tour in Europe. We get to see Guy's uh, life story. And uh, <clears throat> the problem I have is that well, I mentioned the timing. This is the third documentary about Buddy Guy that's been released in about a year. Uh, PBS American Masters did one on Buddy last year called uh, The Blues Chase the Blues Away. And then uh, last week, PBS had a documentary called Buddy Guy True to the Blues. So I, I hope you uh, you check them all out. Um, it's it's just a timing issue on my part. Uh, and I, I've known, I've been watching Buddy Guy perform since my college days. So, and it's interesting because my perception of Buddy Guy, the musician, um, is is very similar to while is watching this documentary, and I'll, ex- I'll explain. Um, the first time I got to see Buddy was at the then venue known as Deer Creek for a traveling blues tour, which had BB uh, King, Buddy Guy, uh, Doctor John, the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and then on this particular indie stop, they had two locals opening, which were Duke Tomato and Yank Rochelle. Fantastic show. And uh, I had just picked up uh, Damn Right, I Got the Blues, which was Buddy's real breakthrough album in 1991 on Silvertone Records. Really opened him up to a whole new audience, especially young rock listening uh, knuckleheads like me. 
And uh, watching Buddy play was electrifying. In fact, uh, there's the great moment, and he does this in his show, where he'll have a, a cordless, a wireless. And in this case, instead of wandering through the club, he jumped onto the main floor of, of uh, the venue. And uh, while there was security to hold the crowd back, nobody dared go near him. Nobody dared touch him. And I had never seen that before. I was used to rock concerts where if somebody jumped into the pit or jumped, jumped into the audience, you know, it's mass hysteria and arms and legs and security trying to grab the guy or hold the, the star, hold the, hold the crowd back. That was not the case. He, he I get proper use of the term literally, he literally parted the sea of audiences when he walked. It was impressive. And then uh, I got to see him uh, when I moved to the Chicago suburbs. Um, I lost count of how many times I'd seen Buddy Guy, whether it was Blues Fest or uh, some concert festival of some kind. Uh, of course, playing at his club. Uh, he would, to this day, still holds month-long uh, residencies at his club, Buddy Guy's Legends, in the month of January. Kind of similar to what that Clapton guy would do at Royal Albert Hall um, <clears throat> way back when. And uh, the first few times I got to see the Buddy Guy show at Buddy Guy's Legends, um, electrifying, really cool. You know, he did the wandering in. Uh, he, and as it turned out, after about the third year, it's the same show. And, he, you know, he, the set list was pretty much the same. He would do a long medley of the blues artists who influenced him, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. John Lee Hooker, and then he'd do a medley of rock artists who he influenced, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, all that. And uh, the patter started to be the same. And so after a while, I, I didn't have to see him as much. Um, I do remember, uh, I talked earlier about the torch pa bearers, torch passers from earlier. Um, there was a co-headlining show at the Aragon Ballroom of Buddy Guy, Johnny Lang, and Susan Tedeschi. Susan opened, and, uh, and then uh, Johnny did a set, and Buddy did a set, and then they jammed together. And Susan, re and that was one where he was taking Johnny Lang under his wing. Susan got the jam with Johnny Lang as well as Buddy Guy, and then the three of them at the end of the show all jammed together. So, so seeing that was cool. It was different. Um, uh, only, there was only one time I got to see Buddy Guy do a small acoustic set uh, at the Blues Festival. So anyway. Over time, I, I probably a dozen times I'd seen him, and it was pretty much the same show. And then I didn't see him for years, and because I moved down here, and uh, life gets in the way and what have you. And uh, I got to interview him for Indie Jazz Fest, and this was back when it was at Military Park. And fun interview. I had to bleep him. Well, I didn't really bleep him. I just, I just cut out the word he said. Um, and uh, the year that he performed at the Jazz Fest, which was the same year as the, the great Betty LeVette <clears throat> and James Hunter, was a year where uh, Mother Nature and the Jazz Fest were not getting along, and it had poured Friday morning. He was supposed to headline Friday night, and uh, it just poured and poured, and we didn't know if they were going to cancel or not, and they decided to not cancel, and... Uh, and while I had a smaller crowd, I think about 3,000 people showed up, um, and Buddy did the show that he did, but it was the show that was needed for that time. Plus, I had been away from, I hadn't seen him play in a long, long time, so it was it was kind of refreshing to see him, and it also brought the crowd up. 
Um, I had uh, the last time I saw him was at IU a few years ago, and now that he's in his 80s, it's like when Pine Top Perkins was alive and Honey Boy Edwards was alive. If, if you get a chance to see him live, do it, do it because we don't know if he's you know the next time around if there is going to be a next time around, and so it's uh. My attitude has changed about the show. I was, you know, if you thought I was an insufferable pop culture D-bag now, you should have heard me in my 20s and early 30s. But uh, so now enjoy him while you can see him. And it's a The Torch is a good documentary. It's just that the th- it's the third one I've seen. And also time uh, when I it was, I think, when I interviewed Buddy that I brought up, I kind of asked without being a jerk about is it is it the show that you that I've seen you do before? And he said, and he finally put it into words, um, it's it's a show for the people who had never seen him before. Not for the jerk who's leaning up against the wall taking notes. Um, there are more people who have not seen him perform live than there are who have seen him, I believe, is the, is the theory. And that makes sense. So, yeah, if you've not seen him perform live, do so if you get a chance. Uh, check out all three documentaries, of course. And and Quinn Sullivan, he's another one. Um, you know, he sounds good in his 20s. I can't wait to hear him in his 40s, in his 50s. That's the beauty of, of blues and jazz music is that uh, you're like a, a cast iron skillet. It's just going to get better if you take care of it and go stay on that path. So, uh, but yeah, definitely check out The Torch, uh, whether you've seen the others or not. And if you can seek out the other two Buddy Guy documentaries, do so, because we should enjoy him while he's here. Never forget that. Also, still in theaters, and I finally got to watch it earlier this week, so look for your, uh, look for your local favorite uh, art house place, and look for the film After Yang. It starts Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner-Smith as a married couple with, uh, with two children, one of which happens to be... AI, artificial intelligence, played by uh, Justin Min. And it tells the story of what happens when their AI child breaks down. And uh, this is from uh, filmmaker Kondanga. Kon- uh, Kon- oh, gosh. Let me try this again. Kogonada. This is the gentle- the director that gave us the-, the wonderful film shot in Indiana, Columbus, if you remember that. And uh, this is based on a short story called Say, Go- Say Goodbye to Yang from the book Children of the New World. And it really resonated with me. It's set in the not-too-distant future and uh, the fact that you have an artificial intelligence child. But uh, if you're a parent of any kind, that loss really resonates, um, The uh, especially in my case, that I'm an empty nester. And, uh, you know, there's also the, fe- the couples or the adults that look at pets, that look at animals as, as if they are children. They are not, but they are like a child to them. Uh, as a as uh, a current empty nester, fairly still fairly new to the concept, um, I know I've grown a little more emotionally attached to uh, to the animals in our house, and uh, I got to see this with fellow film critic Emily Wheeler, who was on the show last week, and she made a great point of saying, it's it's not just that aspect, but also how we view one another, and it's almost a kind of a twist on the Rashomon tale of. Um, your view of your child is different than your your partner's. It's different than your siblings. It's different. Everybody has a different point of view, and it really resonates with this. Um, 
it has a sci-fi futuristic feel to it, not too distant future, as a certain TV show used to say. Uh, but the heart's there. Um, if you're a fan of, uh, and also there's a little bit of her as far as the use of electronics. The tone is, if you liked films like The Lobster or The Killing of a Sacred Deer, it's just kind of it's it's almost not necessarily one note, but one still. There's not a whole lot of du- emotional dust-up that I think we are used to, uh, but the heart is still there. And, and kudos to the, to the performances from Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner-Smith uh, resonating with that, as well as the young girl playing uh, the, the daughter. Um, it's, it's something different, but it's got heart. And uh, so hopefully look, look for it. It's still out there, but I think it's now down to one screening a night at your favorite local art house. Look for After Yang, please. Uh, also new this week, at least new to me, is uh, new. By the way, the review uh, I did earlier of Buddy Guy, The Torch, as well as um, Riff Tracks, Toxic Box, you can check out at the Film Yap. Just a reminder: uh, Riff Tracks are uh, Bill Corbett, Kevin Murphy, Mike Nelson who were once involved with Mystery Science Theater 3000, but now, of course, they have Riff Tracks. And if you, if you don't know Riff Tracks, well, first off, if you know the concept, uh, riffing over bad movies, no robots in this one. Uh, but one of their great claims to fame is Riff Tracks is that you could buy an MP3 of major studio movies and sync it up with your copy of, the, of said bad movie, and uh, you can hear them riffing on that. Uh, but there is a new box set. It's, these are back to the old, cheap, bad, cheesy movies. There is a new box set called Riff Tracks Toxic Box, and it's uh, four DVDs in an actual metal lunchbox. Yes, none of this uh, plastic or cloth lunchboxes like the kids have today. And it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, like four DVDs. The first one is eight short films that uh, absolutely deliver. If you're a longtime Mystery Science Theater fan, they open with Mr. B Natural. And, uh, and, but all new riffs. That's how bad this short is. It's, you know, I, when I interviewed Kevin Murphy, which you'll hear in a little bit on this show, um, they, did a, they did a riff on a movie that had been done by a Mystery Science Theater, but they had all new jokes. So it's not like um, a rock band doing uh, an album in its entirety, where you just know note for note what's, hap- what's going to happen. Uh, Mr. B Natural, of course, is about the wonders of, uh, of music. It's really an infomercial uh, industrial film for the Khan Music Instrument Company, which my wife and mother-in-law recognized. But you have a, a third-rate Peter Pan, Mary Martin type uh, androgynous character who is terrorizing a young middle school boy and getting him to join the school band. Um, it still holds up. It's one of the, it's one of the great shorts and uh, still delivers. You also have titles on uh, a farm family uh, living in way out in the sticks uh, which, and living in the late 60s. Uh, Bridget Nelson and Mary Jo Fell, who has been a guest on the show, they uh, are two of the voices that riff on that. They also do one on the always famous and always reliable short film subject of personal grooming if you're a child. There's also uh, a short film on, enunciate, on pronunciation, the importance of pronunciation, um, safety in and out of doors, which has a 70s, not Isis, not Wonder Woman, not even Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. It's kind of lower than that. Um, as well as 
get that job is how to get a job in the 70s with your resume, your cover letter, and really bad 70s uh, handlebar mustache and Red Bull haircut and gaudy clothing. And uh, David and Hazel, a black and white drama about communication amongst the family, makes uh, Don Draper and Mad Men look like uh, his girl Friday. And the best worst of the short films is called Bicycle Safety Camp. And it's what happens when... Um, you have a collage of kids of different uh, school stereotypes, the nerd, the jock, the pretty girl, the tomboy, and they are all forced to go to bicycle safety camp with a rapping instructor. It was the early 80s. And all the kids wind up rapping as well. This thing put rap and hip-hop back about 50 years. So uh, those are the short films. Then we also get uh, Yor, the uh, the hunter from the future, starring Reb Brown, for you fans of uh, Space Mutiny or, or the 70s version of Captain America. Um, you also have Attack of the Super Monsters, which mixes bad anime and bad stop motion and really bad dubbing of really loud monsters screaming at uh, with their armies of attack dogs and bats and rats and... Uh, two astronauts that combine into a giant fighter suck at Wonder Twins. Um, th- and then the worst film of the lot, and this this felt longer than The Batman, is a film called Suburban Sasquatch. Terrible special effects. Um, and what happens when a Sasquatch, who really doesn't enter the suburbs until near the end of the film, but uh, one of the riffs describe it as if Tommy Wiseau directed A River Runs Through It. There's a lot of outdoor footage and uh, people who don't even remotely look close to being uh, working for the sheriff's department or being a newspaper reporter. I remember having the dress up to be a newspaper reporter. This one didn't. Um, we also have this weird subplot involving a Native American female warrior who shoots arrows at the Sasquatch and the effects are so bad that the arrow hits the Sasquatch, one splurt of blood, and that's it. Blood does not continue to keep spilling. So uh, this was a slug to go through. So really, really terrible, but really, really fun. So there's a limited number of these. I highly recommend if they still have them in stock, you can go to rifttracks.com. But yeah, look for uh, Rift Tracks Toxic Box, available now. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Um, okay, I know they're on spring break over at IU Cinema. Over at the Can Can, let's see, we have, I know, if I remember right, um, The Worst Person in the World, the Oscar-nominated short films after Yang. They have brought back Belfast. Um, coming soon on Thursday, March 17th, why not? Leprechaun. McKenna, that's for you. Um, also coming soon, I've heard The Mermaid Singing, Master X, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors with Vanity Rex. That's happening March 20th over at the Can Can Indie. At the Historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin this weekend, Friday and Saturday, 2 and 7.30 p.m., James Cagney's 1949 Great White Heat, uh, Friday, March 18th. At 7.30 p.m. is a Real Women Vintage Wine event, Pride and Prejudice. And then a Brew and View event, Saturday, March 19th at 7.30 p.m., Caddyshack. And then Thursday, 1 o'clock, 1.30, um, Thursday, March 24th at 1.30. And then Friday and Saturday, March 25th and 26th at 2 and 7.30 p.m., Hoosiers. 
course. That is happening at the Historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Okay, friends, before we grab a pencil, we're going to dip into the archives. And uh, because of the Rift Tracks box set, which is now out, we're going to go to a 2012 interview I did with Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater alum Kevin Murphy. Because I can, because I have archives. Enjoy. Joining me on Film Sociology is a man who's, uh, whose work is now part of the Soci household. Uh, just so you know, Kevin, we, in my house we say things like, oh, do you dare, and movie bad, movie go away. Kevin Murphy of Rift Tracks, how are you? I am just fine, Matt. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Oh, uh, uh, like I said, my, my daughter is 10. She's the kids' film correspondent, and she wanted me to tell you she, can't, she cannot decide which film is worse, the worst film that she's ever watched, Manos or The Room? Ooh. So thank you for that. Oh, you're most welcome. And yeah, I, would, I would put Manos up there um, or, or down there below The Room <laughs> only because you can actually see and hear all of The Room. Well, if, as much as you can understand Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> That's true. So, so for those who don't know, tell us about Manos, The Hands of Fate, the, the greatest movie ever shot in El Paso. That's that's for sure. And um, as far as I know, you know, there's a lot of legends running around. But essentially, it was um, originally made by a um, fertilizer salesman from El Paso who sort of did it on a bet, saying that he could actually make a film. And he did, uh, having absolutely no experience or talent at it. Um, and I think he was very proud of the fact that he actually made the film. It doesn't make any didn't make any difference to him whether it was good or bad. And. Uh, it's a story about a family who uh, is driving and gets lost in the uh, West Texas desert and comes across a, uh, we're supposed to think eventually that it's like a semi-mythical place where um, a fellow who looks a little bit like uh, Zach Galifianakis with, uh, with giant knees uh, lives with a tall fellow who looks like Jeff Foxworthy in a muumuu. <laughs> Now and and of course the the parent especially the dad makes decisions that even horror show teen horror movie teenagers say don't do it. Yeah, bad choices. He in, endangers uh, his child constantly. He immediately trusts the evil goat footed man, um, and he lets the family dog get killed. I'm not. I, I'm sorry. These are spoilers, aren't they? No, uh, from a 50 year old film, right? And you know what? It's they're also made out of people, so it's okay. That's right. Yes. It's all right. Now, I know if I, if I remember in some interviews, some of the group from MST has referred to this as the worst film you guys ever showed. Is that is that is there a list? Uh, I don't know. You know, it was different for different people. And and worst is, you know, it is a subjective thing. Um, it wasn't one of the hardest films we went through. It was hard. It was really hard. Maybe it was, but it wasn't the hardest film that we actually had to riff. Um, I always give that over to either um, The Robot versus the Aztec Mummy, uh-huh. which is, I believe, the only time that we ever pulled out a bottle of tequila to help ourselves <laughs> through the writing session. Um, personally, uh, Red Zone Cuba was much more grim and desperate and sad and soul-sucking for me than Manos was. Although my soul was thoroughly sucked out by Manos, um, uh, Red Zone Cuba was worse for me. Uh, that was the other title I was thinking of in that in that yeah. case. So yeah. so now Rift Tracks is is going to revisit Manos. Why would you do this? Uh, <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, why would Evil Knievel try to jump over the Snake River Canyon twice? <laughs> um, because he's an idiot. Okay, that's what I'm saying. No. Um, 
it seemed like a, the appropriate time. You know, next year, uh, Mystery Science Theater will be uh, 25 years old from its very first uh, shows. And um, and it's the film that when we've asked people, what would you like to see us do live? Manos keeps coming back. It just kept coming back. So <laughs> sort of people were demanding Manos. It's, it's a film that um, our fans, who were Mystery Science Theater man, fans, I think it's the one they recall the most because it is so exquisitely painful and bad um, <laughs> that for them it sort of sums up uh, what the whole riffing world is about. So it just seemed appropriate. And we've got two young, very funny writers along with Mike, Bill, and I, um, uh, Sean Thomason and Connor Lestelka. And uh, they're bringing a fresh perspective to this thing. And so we're really taking it back down I haven't seen the film in truly over 10 years until just in the last couple of months. And so the old wounds had all closed up, and now they're all open again, And except they have a brand-new perspective on it. Um, so it, I think it'll be a – if you can even say that in regards to Manos, it'll be a fresh take on Manos. <laughs> well, I wondered if, if how much was going to be new material or old. First thing I thought of were, were rock bands and jazz bands that now tour and perform – an entire album in its entirety, and I wasn't sure if you three were going to just do the original <laughs> riffs from the first time. No, that would be too easy. <laughs> we wanted, and I think people, you know, when we've done um, our live show, uh, we did Plan 9 from Outer Space, which was uh, one of our more popular live shows. Uh, we rewrote the script for that so that it would be fresh even from our own riff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're not Mystery Science Theater anymore. We're riff tracks, so we right. sort of have to do it in our own way. And uh, and and not perform the album, as it were. Well, it's funny. My thank, we got to see uh, the Plan Nine, and it was fun hearing my daughter go daytime, nighttime, <laughs> Bella, not Bella. <laughs> oh, fun! So, um, where are you guys f- performing the, the the film itself? We will be at the Belcourt Theater in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a great old. Um, uh, proscenium sort of theater. It's been a venue for a lot of rock and roll acts as well as uh, a movie theater. And so, you know, it's it's a little bit frumpy, but it's, you know, it's also has its great charms. It's very intimate. Um, so it's a perfect place for us to do it. And, um, and because of that, when we uh, beam it out nationwide to, I think it's about 550 theaters, mm-hmm. um, then it keeps that intimacy because it looks like, you know, you're in the theater and you're watching us in this little theater and, you know, in front of a crowd of just a few hundred people, um, it just makes it feel, it gives that live experience that much more connection. The audience gets more connection to us because we're really connected to that audience in Nashville. You you mean you couldn't find a theater in El Paso to do this? (laughs) Ah, you know, I was afraid that uh, if we do it in the hometown that they're going to run us out on a rail. (laughs) Well, there is something to be said because also on the show this week I was talking about a couple films from the 70s and the it was it's great to see films that are not in Hollywood or New York. I just watched the 70s zombie film Sugar Hill. Oh, wow. Which was filmed in Houston. And then you have a film like Blackenstein, which I believe was shot in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> that would make sense. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So, yeah. so what are what are things what are what is going on with riff tracks besides uh, Manos? Well, we continue to do uh, riffs of, um, of big Hollywood films, but we've also been concentrating lately on um, on doing some you know cheesy older films, sort of like we used to do on Mystery Science Theater, because uh, again, people have been asking for us to do that. So. Uh, 
Oh, just recently we have a, a film called uh, Neutron versus the Death Robots, which is a Mexican uh, wrestler hero film. Yes. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we're doing films sort of of that ilk. We just recently did Future Cop, which features David Carradine with his, you know, big beer gut sleeping his way through the lines. And uh, it's, it's the future, only it's like a 70s version of the 80s, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think of the costumes in Logan's Run. Right, right. Oh, they're worse here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they just sort of took, um, you know, for their future cars, uh, he drives a, um, a Jeep Commando. Ah, well, of course. <laughs> they, they, who knew that car was so far in advance? Nothing changed on it whatsoever, <laughs> and yet it is future force. Now, are you guys able to pick old film, new film? Is there a pattern, or does it just go with how you guys are feeling? Well, it, it kind of goes uh, with what is um, either available or popular, because what we found is that we'll pour our hearts out into a new release that we you know, just do the MP3 riff for and then send it out there, and nobody's renting it, so there aren't that many copies available. So it makes it sort of silly if we're going to go to all the trouble to riff, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour modern um, piece of junk um, that only 10 or 12 people rent it. That's not very encouraging. So we've been sticking to really like the prime cuts these days, you know, your Twilights, your superhero action films. So, you know, they're going to get uh, – they're going to get their due. Yeah, I would say I think Rift tra- your, your versions of, of Twilight and The Room are probably some of the best and probably the most popular. Is, uh, is, is Tommy Wiseau or Kristen Stewart become the, the new Joe Don Baker? <laughs> are they looking for you? Um, we haven't heard from Kristen. Um, from what I understand, Tommy is sort of confused by what it is we're doing <laughs> and thinks somehow we're actually stealing the movie. Uh-oh. So we had to disabuse him of that notion because we're not. We're just helping him along. If anything, we're selling more units of the room. And and that's what lawyers are for, so they have to have to listen to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, w- 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 if, I mean, is the viewing time of riff tracks similar to Mr. Science Theater? Like, how many times do you watch a film before you actually riff it? Well, it's a little different from what we used to do at Mystery Science Theater in that we um, we we don't do everything out of a writing room. Um, what we do these days is, since there's five of us, we sort of divide the film up into five parts, and we each take a chunk and just sit and look at it for, oh, you know, sometimes a week at a time, depending on the film, because it takes at least an hour of writing time to deliver a minute of script, sometimes more. Um, so you spend a whole lot of time with a chunk of film, and then when it comes together, I think we've become such a good unit that... Uh, you know, it's hard to tell one writer from the other. And we come together and we do a revision and we do a rehearsal and then we record it. And by the time we record it, we're so stinkingly familiar with the film that, you know, it's very easy to perform. And how long do you decompress after a film like that? <laughs> well, uh, unless I have to, except for quali- you know, quality control purposes, uh, I don't really revisit any of these films again for a good long time after I've watched them. So do you cleanse your palate by watching a, a good movie? There, whenever I can, you know, that gets harder to do these days. So I go back and, I, you know, my, my favorite medicine in the world is Turner Classic Movies. Good, good call. Very yeah. good call. I would say, and, and your book was a lot of fun. And you made, well, me, thank you. you made me feel like a slacker, so I'm still trying to pick <laughs> up on that. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm encouraged what I've heard recently, uh, people who have followed me because of uh, – um, my book on either Facebook or Twitter have um, 
been tweeting me back that a lot of uh, outdoor theaters and drive-in theaters are opening again. It's becoming another uh, a trend again, except they're having better food, <laughs> and the sound is better, and they're making more of an event out of it in some places. So it's not sort of like the sleazy old place you remember. It's just, you know, it's it's gotten a little bit classier. It's, I don't know how to be, feel about that, but I still love going to a drive-in and seeing a movie. Absolutely. There's, there's I think, one in Indiana still. But, yeah, I, yeah. I think of the architectural theaters that were gloriously downtown venues and then they turned into the porn houses in the 60s yeah. and 70s and now they're trying to revitalize downtowns yeah well that's good that's one way to do it it's uh you know people will never stop going to the movies and as long as they can make some money i you know i'm a big supporter of of single screen theaters that show whatever it is they think they should show be that a repertoire or uh, just things that they handpick that they're not forced down them by the distributors. You know, I encourage that. Absolutely. And we also have a, uh, a an unnamed uh, art house chain here in Indy, and they did summer. They did midnight movies this summer, and they're yeah. doing it again in the fall, including The Room and Troll Two. Wonderful. So, hey, so how often do you get to watch movies at home with the family on your own? Um, we do it quite often, actually, thanks to things like. Um, uh, Netflix and Vudu and uh, and such outlets. There's uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And then of course, Turner Classic Movies, which is one of those destinations I go to. I will flick it on. I'll see something uh, that maybe I've never seen before, and I'll find myself up until two in the morning watching something from you know 1936 or uh, a silent series or something like that. Or non or non Frankie and Annette beach movies. Right. Oh yes, dear Lord. Now, do you, do you, I mean, I'm not saying you riff at home, but do you mutter and just out of habit? Only if something's really bad. And then, <laughs> yeah, my governor goes off and, uh, and I peg the needle and I fly off the handle. And then usually, uh, Jane, my spouse says, oh, let's change the channel. <laughs> or let's go play Scrabble. Or let's do something besides listen to you tear into something I like. Can, can you give us an example of a film recently? Oh, it's, you know, I actually am more inclined to do this with things like House Hunters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, do, yeah. you, do and, you... Oh, so go ahead. Oh, no, and Jane's uh, tastes um, trend more towards, you know, chick films. Okay. So if it's something sort of a goopy chick film on there, I'll, yeah, I'll start getting snide, and then she'll smack me down. We, we kind of do that with uh, Food Network and HGTV. <laughs> it's, it's so easy. Yeah, and anytime you can make house hunters seem like gambling in the house. Yeah. So, um, do you remember the first film? I mean, I'm talking about way before Mr. Science Theater that you ever riffed in a theater or started to think about snide comments as a kid or even as a young adult. Actually, the, the first time I felt I found myself actually in a theater making fun of a film, I, my brother Christopher and I, I think it was, went to see this really bad film with Marlon Brando and um, um, George C. Scott called The Formula. Yes. Yeah. It was supposed to be this big pot boiler, and yep. we were about halfway through. And, yeah, we started just um, riffing on the film with each other. And it was, it was a, you know, like a midweek thing. I think we were both working in restaurants, and so we had the days off and uh, went to see this film in, uh, in a theater, and there was nobody else there, so it was perfect. I, I just found that for $2 at a, at a bookstore. <laughs> so, you could watch, yep. so you could watch Marlon Brando with an earpiece. That's right. <laughs> because, it, because there was that, and there was, if you remember, Reflections in a Golden Eye that he did with Elizabeth Taylor and a naked, oh my, yes. naked Robert Forrester, which Mrs. Forrester didn't even ask for. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you guys have uh, Christmas and, and uh, Halloween all planned out for Rift Tracks? Um, 
We do not. I know it's been announced that uh, sometime around Halloween, I don't have the dates with me. Uh, you might want to check uh, with the Rift Tracks people, you know, the guys who actually know, know stuff, <laughs> yeah. um, that we are going to Rift Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Wow, of yeah, course. For, for Fathom Entertainment. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, so That'll be a lot of fun. And people can go to Rift Tracks' website and check that out? Go to RiftTracks.com and check it out. You On Twitter or are you just on Facebook? I'm uh, mainly on Twitter. Facebook gives me hives. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> like Manos hives? Hives, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I love the Twitter because it makes me keep it short, and I'm much better uh, when I'm doing short stuff instead of prattling on. No no political diatribes? No. No, 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 no. I, I stay away <laughs> from the politics. No, I make jokes about, uh, you know, my love of meat. I think that's about as political as I get. As I said, I'd, I'd be a vegetarian as long as I could first eat all the ducks in the world. Wow, there's some right-wing vegans that are going to come after you. <laughs> it's like the punk band that have, we have here in Indianapolis, Gay Black Republican. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's Kevin Murphy of Rift Tracks and, yes, Mystery Science Theater fame. You can uh, check out Rift Tracks at rifttracks.com. And, of course, the uh, Toxic Box, if they're still available, go and get one if you can. All right, friends, grab a pencil. Let's find out what you've been watching this week. Hopefully you've been watching good films that are new, or at least new to you, as well as falling back on old favorites. And we start with Richard, who writes Yuli's Gold. Eric, who writes Malone, Burt Reynolds and his rug take on Cliff Robertson, the sea who can out-death stare each other. Um, Eric, I saw Malone when it opened in the theaters in 1987, and yes, I own it on DVD. It's kind of Burt Reynolds getting to do his version of Shane. Um, the same year he did his film Heat, not that film Heat, another film called Heat. Um, yeah, he was just, it was something. So, and Lauren Hutton was in it, so that was pretty cool. Uh, Jed writes, the wife and I saw the Batman was a masterpiece. Can't wait to see what else happens in this universe. Thank you, Jed. Uh, John writes, another Charles Lawton double feature. Friends, have a Charles Lawton double feature if you get a chance. In this case, for John, it's Mutiny on the Bounty and Hobson's Choice. And then he says, with the kids, Despicable Me and The Land Before Time. Uh, Stephen writes, we've been watching Reprise, Oslo, August 31, and The Worst Person in the World. I am now a slavering fan of Andres Danielson Lee. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Andrea writes, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is the great Gatsby. Um, Thomas writes, Tootsie. Um, Sarah writes, saw the Batman this weekend. While the guy I saw it with and I both agree that three hours is almost too long for a movie, we said it didn't feel like three hours while watching it. Okay. But she does. Agree, Sarah does agree with me. It had more endings than Lord of the Rings. Um, Abdul writes, the Batman. Ken writes, Space Bangers. Lila writes, be, becoming the, being the Ricardos. It was meh. Nicole Kidman and J.K. Simmons were great, though. I enjoyed the Amy Poehler documentary more. Yes, that is out streaming as well. Thank you, Lila. Uh, Jamie writes, I finished Cruella from last week, but I've been watching an amazing series on YouTube every single day called Me, Myself, and Die. Uh, David writes, West Side Story, the recent one, Nobody, and Dr. Strangelove. Joshua writes, The King of Staten Island and Mean Streets. Kim writes, Hope Floats, Country Strong, Starship Troopers, and more Westerns than you can probably imagine. My first wife, oh, uh, my so's first wife is staying with us during a health issue, and this are her snoozing comfort. That's okay, Kim, not a problem. 
Uh, Gretchen writes, saw all the Oscar-nominated shorts for animation, documentary, and live action. Next year, I will get more info on the animated ones before I go, as a couple of them were very disturbing. The documentaries were awesome. Gretchen, I understand. I'm sorry that happened, but I, I, there is something about, and I, I do this with the short films, is uh, try not to know anything about them by going in, because how often does that happen in these times and days? So, um, sorry it shook you up, but there is something I think hopefully exhilarating about going in and not knowing what you're going to expect. Uh, Rachel writes Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, Wayne writes West Side Story. Visually pleasing, but too spot on, he puts in quotes. Why do it on the big screen if you're not really bringing anything new? Oh, I don't know, Wayne. I think the casting and the, I think the screenplay adaptation uh, works well. There's more. I think the, the singing and dancing is uh, slightly better in this one. But uh, uh. Daniel writes House of Gucci, Marriage Fool, I Want You Back, Lucy and Desi, and Kimmy. Doug writes uh, Laventura, featuring the late Monica Vitti. I got it. I have a copy of it too, Doug. I need to get to that. Uh, Darling, Save the Tiger, and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Spaceballs, Reversal of Fortune, and Lucy and Desi. Thank you, Doug. Uh, Eric writes All First Time Views, Free Guy, Drive My Car, and the recent, the new West Side Story. We've also been discovering NBC's Friday Night Lights, two seasons so far. Thank you. Uh, Dustin writes, Master Harold and the Boys of Mice and Men, the John Malkovich, Gary Sinise version. I remember reviewing that for the Daily News, Dustin. Thank you. Supersize Me and Supersize Me Too, Holy Chicken. Kathy writes, The Card Counter. Josh writes, I saw Free Guy. Pretty good. Daniel writes, We watched The Kingsman last night and I was pretty bored. Lou writes, uh, Peninsula, the 1966 film of Batman, Annie Get Your Gun and Flesh. Which sucked. Uh, Amy writes, I saw four amazing films at Heartland Films' Best of the Fest. Uh, what a treat to see them on the big screen at the Historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin. I might, I might add, the Indiana film The Attic's Wake looked mighty impressive up there, too. Wink, wink. She, uh, oh, thank you, Amy. Uh, Bob, Bob Bloom writes, Lost Angel and the Monster from Green Hell. Molly writes, The Batman. Um, David writes, David has a question, uh, not for tomorrow, obviously, but is there a meaningful library of Ukraine films, directors, actors you could explore? And if you go on Wikipedia, list of Ukrainian films. So there you go. Abby writes, love and other drugs and I want you back. Cheesy romance movies this week. Okay. Catherine writes, the Batman. Patty writes, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace. Michael writes, West Side Story and the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Britt writes Free Guy and the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. John writes Ratatouille. David writes uh, The Batman and the French Dispatch. Helen writes Minari. Kim writes The Batman and the Maltese Falcon. Nancy writes Coda. I ugly cried a lot. But uh, I don't think you're capable of crying ugly, Nancy. Uh, Kurt writes A Prairie Home Companion at the Bell Trace Movie Night. Uh, Tell Virginia Madsen to call me. I actually met her, so I wish she would call me. Uh, Cassandra writes, Free Guy, absolutely hilarious. Joe writes, uh, West Side Story, 2021, and Murderville. John writes, Dr. Strangelove. Aaron writes, Stephen Banks, Home Entertainment Center. Taylor writes, The Adventures of Robin Hood, The 1946 Great Expectations, The Guns of Navarone, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, Jennifer writes, The Wiz, and said it was brilliant. 
Eric writes Spencer. Beverly writes Don't Look Up and Girlfriend's Day. David writes Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, Joe writes, last night I watched The Ritual, stellar acting in some really intense wilderness situations. Thank you, Joe. Um, Michael writes, not my usual taste, but I watched Limitless with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro. With the exception of one scene, it was all interesting and intense. De Niro is a little bit wasted in the script, but still fun to see. TJ writes, the Kanye documentary. Keith writes, Negative, Black Mass, Inferno, Nomeo and Juliet, Dr. Doolittle, actually just called Doolittle 2020, um, Meet Dave, Hancock, and Precious. Carrie writes, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, So Good, and a Godzilla anime movie. Uh, Pam writes, Bridges of Madison County. I never saw it before and figured out I'd give it a try. I loved it. Pam, I I really enjoyed Bridges of Madison County as well, and I read the book. The book is a quick read, and much to the screenwriter as well as Clint Eastwood for scraping a lot of sap out of that book and just having a really solid uh, romance between Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood. Uh, Teresa writes Charlie's Angels with Kristen Stewart. I didn't hate it. Congratulations, Teresa. Uh, J.J. writes Good on Paper. The Feast, and The Batman. Spencer writes Shampoo. John writes The Batman Was a Great Time. Jeff writes West Side Story 2021. William writes The Maltese Falcon and Nightmare Alley. Don writes Slaughterhouse-Five. Tom writes Jason and the Argonauts, uh, The Power of the Dog, which he deemed meh, and The Big Lebowski, the only white Russian still acceptable. Okay, um, yeah, let's let's not get into Freedom Fries territory with Russian drinks or drinks that have the name in it. It's still a Moscow Mule. Don't get too wound up about that. Um, Jay writes, we watched uh, Dog last Friday. It was pretty good. Then last night we watched I Want You Back with Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. It was good. Uh, Jonathan writes The Batman. Kevin writes uh, Bang, the Burt Burns story. Jeffrey writes, um, The Batman. This may be my answer for next week. I'd like to see it on IMAX, so go for it. Uh, Chris writes, Despicable Me too. Michael writes, Dracula's Daughter. Julia writes, I Want You Back, Lucy and Desi, and West Side Story for the third time. Wow. Uh, Robert Muggy writes, Drive My Car, Asako 1 and 2, uh, Belfast, King Richard, West Side Story, and House of Gucci. Christopher writes, The Running Man. Kim writes Concrete Cowboy, absolutely incredible, powerful movie, as well as Anna. Uh, Martin writes Eyes of Tammy Faye and says, need to seek out the original documentary, It's Been Forever. Yeah, Martin, I, I would watch the documentary about the Eyes of Tammy Faye. I think it's it's better than the the feature version. Sorry, I that's just how I feel. Uh, Linda writes, I want you back. That's a title, not a wish. Um, Julie writes African Queen. Uh, Anthony writes, uh, Black Book, an incredible story of WW2 and Jewish citizens in Denmark. A++++. Yeah, Paul, really good Paul Verhoeven film. That's uh, That pushes it. I like that one. Uh, Mike writes, Walk With Me. Lucinda writes, Belfast. Gary writes, Coda Made Me Cry Three Times. In all caps, he wrote. Uh, David writes, Revisit the Green Mile. Shawshank has the reputation, and justifiably so, but this may be Frank Darabont's better film. Uh, Zachariah writes, Jungle Fever, He Got Game, Bamboozled, Inside Man, and The Worst Person in the World. And pretty much loved The Worst Person in the World. Uh, Tina writes, Carmen Line, a short film with Olivia Coleman. 
Uh, David writes The Old Guard on Netflix. Jennifer writes West Side Story. Devin writes West Side Story as well as Superstar. Judy writes Tick, Tick, Boom and Another Man as well as Poison with Betty Davis. Uh, Cassie writes West Side Story. Uh, Mark writes West Side Story, The French Dispatch, Argo, and Network. Hey, Howard Beale. Terry writes Casablanca for the umpteenth rewatch. This one in a good-sized silver screen at Utica, New York. Uh, fixed Pantheon favorite of mine. Thank you, Terry. Uh, Bill writes Network, Pillow Talk, Belfast, and Shakespeare in Love. It was an eclectic week. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Alice writes Solo. Adam writes the, Night- the Batman and Nightmare Alley. Josh, Josh is really excited. I finally have one, in all caps, the Batman. Josh, congratulations on going to the movies, man. Keep contributing when you can. Uh, Jody writes, the kid is home from spring break. So far, we've watched Across the Universe twice, Napoleon Dynamite, and Hairspray. Uh, Lucinda writes, Red Joan, and said it was terrific. Mike writes, The Batman, excellent. Debbie writes, Son of Godzilla, love baby Godzilla, and the documentary The Bleeding Edge, deemed disturbing. And finally, Stephen writes, watched Howl's Moving Castle last night, and John's currently watching the 1978 Death on the Nile. The the acting was so atrocious, I bailed after five minutes. Ah, come on, Stephen, give it another try. I wish I I was there with you with drinks to, to watch it together so and there you go friends that's what you've been watching this week so hopefully you've been able to find some new movies that are or at least new to you and some good ones as well as falling back on old favorites friends some words to live by silent breed is people zardoz has spoken Go see a good movie. You deserve it. There's plenty out there. And Chris just texted right under the wire, Mad Max Fury Road, Ascension, and Being There. Thank you, Chris. Anyway, hope you get to see some uh, good films that are new, at least new to you, as well as falling back on old favorites. And we'll do this again next week. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. I can't believe you'd let her watch Manos. <laughs> Is she scarred for life? Let's put it this way. What parent are you? <laughs> when I wake her up, I vocalize the theme to wake her up to get oh, her ready to school. Oh, you're a terrible father. <laughs> we'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live!